Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. This is somewhat, by the way, the, the, if, unless you downloaded this this morning, I've made some a few small changes to it. Nothing huge. Um, it's pretty obvious what the antidepressants are for. By the name of the drug, they're for depression. They're used for other things, by the way, a lot of these drugs. But uh, typically, the most common thing they're used for um, is depression. We use the word depressed and depression in popular parlance, meaning we're feeling down sad, but that's not really what depression is, though that is part of it. Feelings of uselessness, uh, feelings of helplessness, etc. It's really a lot about blunt and flat affect. Affect is, uh, just a, for you biology students, is a psychological term meaning emotion. So it's basically a lack of emotion. It's a lack of emotion and feelings of worthlessness. If you put those two together, you've got depression. Okay. And any emotion that is there tends to be a pretty negative one. It's also um, a lack of any motivation. Okay. So, people that are depressed don't get out of bed in the morning. People that are depressed don't get dressed. People that are depressed don't have a shower. What's, what's the use if I have a shower, I'll screw it up somehow anyway. People that are actually in the very bottom part of depression aren't that likely to kill themselves. Because <laughs> the thought process in depression is so distorted that people will think, well, I'll screw that up too. People sort of go on suicide watch when they're given antidepressants because they get just enough confidence to think they can kill themselves. So it's, it's very strange that way. So you have to keep that in mind that this is a lack of, it's completely blunted. Lack of affect, lack of emotion, lack of any sort of motivation whatsoever. It's the way you feel, in fact, when you're feeling when something really bad happens to you, when you're completely numb, right? So you don't want a loved one dies, okay? Or you have a really bad breakup with somebody. Whatever, right? For a few days, even a few weeks, you may feel like this, right? I remember after my father died for a couple days, it was just like, you know, there's nothing. That's actually normal. In fact, if you don't feel like that, there's probably something wrong with you. After your father dies, your mother, your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or all of those at once. You're supposed to feel like that. If you keep feeling like that like six weeks later, and I think that's the cutoff in the DSM, is that right? You people that know clinical better than I do, is it six weeks? Six months. Six months, rather, that's right. Um, If you continue on feeling like that six months, yeah, I think that's right, six months after, some horrible event. Then there's something wrong with you. That's, we, we gotta draw a line somewhere. So psychologists draw the line at six months later. Uh, there's talk of, this is why I was thinking of this, there's talk of changing it to uh, eight weeks, I think, in the new DSM. Because six months is pretty long, basically, is the notion. Yeah? Is that also though being a severe detriment to your health? Uh, I think almost by definition, this is a, is a de- detriment to you, because if you don't get up and go to work, yeah, but if it's not that point, it's not when you're supposed to go for treatment. Yeah, I mean, that's always something to keep in mind. I mean, you may not even be diagnosed technically with depression. You may have to be diagnosed with something called dysthymic disorder, which is kind of like small depression, you know what I call it. Um, but in that case, still, yeah, you still need help. You still need help. And like I said, you know, like I remember when my dad died and my mom described feeling like this, and I said, well, I feel like that too. We all feel like that. If you don't feel like that, you're, there's something wrong with you. 
you know, and you'll feel like that for a while. Since you feel like that in a couple of years from now, it's a problem. And now and then you have the odd day you're going to feel like that. If you've had some big event like that, right? You're reminded of things, etc. That all makes sense. That's totally normal. And like I said, if you don't now and then, that is a little weird. But when it happens and it's six months later and you still haven't sort of, you never get over these things, but you haven't sort of dealt with them. Let's put it that way. Then we've got a problem. Then we've got a problem. It does seem to be more common now than ever, uh, which is, it may have something to do with, well, I've got a graph I'll show you in a second. Um, so we have basically major depressive disorder. Uh, that's mentalhealth.com. is actually a pretty decent website. Uh, it's run by a psychiatrist, so he actually, and it's pretty reasonable stuff. Um, we're talking here basically to you know, major depressive disorder, which is what people always call clinical depression. But the real name is major depressive disorder. And bipolar affective disorder, which is also known as manic depression. Bipolar is when you have, <coughs> excuse me, the bouts of the depression I talked about. And then the other end of it is the exact opposite, is mania. It looks a lot like, uh, we talked about amphetamine psychosis. It looks a lot like that. You might think at first, well, if it's the opposite of depression, they sound like they'd be a lot of fun to hang out with. Right? Wouldn't they be great? All kinds of emotion, all kinds of motivation, yeah, and all kinds of delusions that they can do anything. All kinds of running up their credit cards for everybody in a bar. Hell, buy everybody drinks. All kinds of, I'll have sex with anybody I want to. And they're actually, it's often described like this, they're fun until you challenge them. Until you look at someone with, in the, either the manic part of, of bipolar or the exceedingly rare disorder just called mania, which doesn't really happen that often. It's usually uh, <laughs> and like amphetamine psychosis. This, this is Charlie Sheen, right? Is it looks like that. And when you challenge them and say that, you know, you just put $9,000 in your credit card um, and you, you make $14,000 a year, do you think that was a good idea? That's when they will turn on. So you can see, this is debilitating. This is debilitating. Uh, by the way, there's no sex difference in major, uh, sorry, in bipolar affective disorder. It's the same in women and men. Many more women than men are diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Uh, what the reason for that is, I don't know. It's often stated that, well, that must mean that bipolar is biological and the other one is from society, and that's what I say, you don't know how things work. One sex link, it seems one isn't. Is it a sex link set of genes? I don't know, but just because one, the sex difference shows up in one and not the other doesn't really mean anything. It means something's happening differently with women than men. Note the vague generality there. But it doesn't mean that one's caused by society, man, and the other one's your biology, it's just stupid. People should just learn. People should read books now and then. It's just one of them things. Um, here's some interesting data. You might think that the amount of pressure in your life would have some effect on... These are decent enough, decent enough data. I believe these are from 2003? Yeah, I think this is from 2003. This is in the States. There's no reason to think it's any different in Canada. Um, this is the percentage of people in the population okay, that, have, that have been diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Note how high these numbers are by the percentage of And the interesting thing to note here is it has very little to do with how big your family is. Or how, what this also says is how old you are. Right, we can extrapolate that from number of kids you have and how old the kid sorry how old your kid is. But you might think and you hear a lot about people about postpartum depression, uh, things like that, which recent data suggests may not really be a thing. It may not be. Uh, who knows? It, it may be too. Um, 
but there's, it's been always accepted for a long time, and now there's some question as to if it's anything special. Is the incidence of depression among people who just have had kids any different women who just have kids than it is among women in general? And there's a lot of data now suggesting it's probably not. And blaming it on just having had a baby probably doesn't help anybody. That's the some thinking I've heard out there. Um, but you take a look here. It's really no different. There's no trend here really at all. Um, you, the only thing you might say here is having a new newborn or having a kid that's getting a little more independent, you're less likely to be depressed and somewhere in the middle. No, I, I'm of the opinion that all people between the ages of 12 and 17 are jerks. So I would think you'd be very depressed. I think people become jerks at the age of 12, but 18, they sort of start smarting up somehow. I don't know how it works. You ever been on the bus with a bunch of kids in like grade 11? Just want to throttle them? Or even more, kids in grade seven. That's about the worst ever. Right? To girls walking around listening to Justin Bieber really loud on the way to school. Okay, this happens when I'm walking my son to school. And it's like these, these and they, they, they roll in packs. <laughs> packs of like 12 year old girls listening to bad music really loudly on their phones. Why do they have phones? They're 12! But I don't really, I think I can see a whole lot here. We could say, though, that it's going, it's, it's when the kid is very dependent or not dependent. That seems kind of ass backwards. I can't see a relationship there. Here's the interesting one on the right your income. This should surprise us. It's very common that any kind of disorder, be they uh, psychological disorders, be they having the flu, are more common the poorer you are. And you can see that here. We go from 13%, uh, which is really high. For people with an income under 20 grand, people over 75 grand, we're going down by, let's see, so that's five, five of 13. We're going down by about 38, 39%. That's pretty amazing. Right? So it looks like it's just life's pressure, but especially, you know, financial pressure is a huge thing. Interesting. So, pharmacological. It seems that somehow depression is related to monoamines. So note the hedging seems and somehow. Um, especially serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Okay? And especially serotonin. Why do we know this? Uh, when we go on, you'll see that how the, the, how the drugs work, and they have antidepressant effects, and you sort of go backwards and say, if they have antidepressant effects, they do this. It must be the case that that has something to do with depression. So I don't know if it's the cause, the root cause is some sort of serotonin deficiency. In fact, it's not, I, I'll go out on a limb here and say it's not that simple. Uh, and I'll get to why it's not that simple in a, in a few minutes, but... It seems to play some kind of role. So this isn't like schizophrenia. Remember schizophrenia? Was, oh, dopamine receptors. Done. That was easy. This isn't that easy. Okay? This isn't that easy. But serotonin must play a role. Or these drugs would have no effect at all. So all the drugs that work for depression then have some effect on the serotonergic synapses. So if that's the case, we can put two and two together and get like, you know, four. These others do seem to play a role, the other monoamines. And again, it's not still as simple as just monoamines, not enough monoamines. It's not that simple. It's also the case, by the way, that if, if, if it was just a serotonin problem, giving people a serotonin-like substance would end depression, right? And in fact, then we could just have people all drop acid that were depressed. And that won't make you fun. You know, well, I can, I can hear colors and now my life has meaning. No, it's not, it doesn't really work that way. All right, um, monoamine, oxid, monoamine oxida, oxid, damn it. 
Monoamine oxidase, oxidase, it's an enzyme, idiot. Okay, let me just try again. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors were discovered by accident. Well, the antidepressant qualities were. And so what we're called, we're called tricyclic antidepressants. The same thing there. The drugs were developed, um, and then it turned out they helped depress people. The second generation antidepressants, the SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they were designed to do that and nothing else. That's the point. And that's where the idea fluoxetine or Prozac comes from. And up until... When it came out in the mid-1990s, it was a huge thing. Um, it, people originally thought that when fluoxetine came out, it would have the same dramatic impact on depression that antipsychotic drugs had on schizophrenia. In other words, that suddenly a whole lot of people wouldn't be depressed anymore. Um, did it help? Yeah. Was it the miracle drug everybody thought it would be? Not quite. Uh, on the other hand, for the manic episodes, and also strangely as a general mood stabilizer, um, uh, lithium, salts of lithium, work quite nicely. Lithium chloride. Lithium is also a deadly poison, <laughs> so you have to be exceedingly careful with the lithium. Therapeutic index is really low, it's like three or something. Now, it's interesting, lithium affects, somehow, it's a bit of a mystery, lithium seems to control mania, but it also acts as a general mood stabilizer, such that when people are likely to, to when they're on suicide watch, they're often given a small amount of lithium chloride, and it makes them less likely to kill themselves. Some interesting data, uh, oh God, is this 2009? I think they're Japanese data, and they looked at the lithium, you know, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a metal. It occurs naturally. And people, uh, this research team looked at the amount of lithium in drinking water. And there's small amounts. Not enough to be concerned about. Uh, in, in, in drinking water in different cities. You know, just like everywhere has little, little amounts of, of things. And the places that had a little bit higher concentration of lithium had fewer incidents of suicide. So, uh, you know... Who knows? Maybe one day we'll put that in there to prevent suicide. I don't think so, or make it less likely. But this is what the guy that was suggesting. You know, it may be the case. And this is just naturally occurring lithium. This wasn't something that anybody was putting in the water. Right? So it's fascinating stuff. So somehow lithium seems to control both mania and the depths of depression. So people that are on lithium chloride, or typically they say lithium, um, may not be bipolar. They may simply, it may be at the very early stages of taking antidepressants. Why does it do that? I don't know. There's all kinds of ideas. Well, I, we'll get into it because I used to just go, I don't know, and it bugged the hell out of me. So I did some reading in the last few days to try to figure some stuff out. But, <clears throat> which, uh, believe me, uh, didn't really help a lot. No one really knows still. But it's interesting stuff. All right, um, I'm going to ignore lithium for now. We'll come back to lithium. For all three types of antidepressants, that's monoamine oxidase inhibitors, that's tricyclic antidepressants, and that is uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Voice <clears throat> is bad today. Uh, the absorption is roughly the same for all three, so we can pretty much talk about all of them at once. Uh, most of these are destroyed by first-pass metabolism. So they get in the system, they do their, their work, and they get destroyed by first-pass metabolism. Uh, we get peak blood concentration in one to three hours. It's a little longer with the SSRIs, the peak blood uh, concentration. And this depends on the SSRI. Okay, so some of them uh, can be on the order of uh, hours, uh, some of them on the order of days, actually. Okay. Uh, lithium is a poison, and as I said, it's a therapeutic index of growth. In other words, three times the effective dose will kill you. And it's not a nice way to die. Now, lithium poisoning involves uh, nausea, 
ataxia. Um, so it's, uh, it involves tremors. Uh, it involves your kidneys and liver shutting down. It's like every episode of House right in front of you. Very, and people often turn kind of green. It's, it's a very unpleasant thing to see. And I think I told did I tell you guys that? That I, I watched a guy have lithium poisoning once? I didn't stand by and do nothing. But a guy who was teaching intro psych to in Newfoundland. And um, he came up after, after the class and he said, you know a lot about drugs? And I said, yes. We had just talked about this in intro, except at a very general level. He said, I've just been diagnosed with bipolar. I said, man. He said, I'm taking with you. He said, yeah. I said, good, good. So they must be doing a lot of blood work on you all the time. And he said, huh? I said, uh, that looks so good. He said, yeah, I took two. I said, oh, you didn't do that. I missed a dose, so I took two pills, did you? He said, well, yeah. I said, you don't do that with lithium. And he said, and I'm feeling kind of weird. I'm having trouble kind of... And he was losing the ability to speak, right? Like, I'm having trouble concentrating, he was trying to say, and he was kind of green and shaky. And I said, we're going to call an ambulance now. And actually, it turned out, we looked up in his file. It was a small school just like this. And we looked up in his uh, file down in the office. We contacted his father, uh, and we called an ambulance. The father got there first, and we took him to the hospital. He got back in a couple days. He had lithium poisoning, first stages. He was okay. They uh, basically uh, did dialysis on him. And... Um, he ended up getting an A in the class, which is kind of awesome. No, because he came back. He was, he was fine in a couple of days. And they found the right dose, and he was okay. And he was, he was screwing up all through high school because he had bipolar, and it wasn't controlled. Right? But it's a, it was a scary thing to see. It was a very scary thing to see. When you see somebody turning green and losing the ability to do all kinds of just simple mental things in front of you, it's frightening. All right. So all the antidepressants, and lithium chloride, by the way, uh, cross all the barriers. They cross blood-brain, which should surprise you, but they also cross placental. This is one of the reasons, in fact, that women that are pregnant that have bipolar are often taken off the lithium. Because lithium is a dangerous teratogen as well. It'll cause massive birth defects. So one of the dangers here is You've, it might be possible to find a very small dose that works, but oftentimes they're, they're given something else. MALIs have a pretty short half-life. Tricyclics, uh, so short meaning on the order of hours. Uh, tricyclics are around 24 hours. SSRIs, 15 to 20 hours, except fluoxetine, which has a six-day half-life. And norfluoxetine, and that's, that's, um, that's the Prozac, has a 16-day half-life. Seems long to me. Wow, 16 day half life. That's actually great for a drug, right? A therapeutic drug, you want something with a long half life. I want something I can take a very small dose of to keep a steady therapeutic amount in the, in the system. That's really what you're looking for, is something like that. So there's nothing wrong with that, it's just that when people take Prozac as a uh, sort of, and we'll talk about this later, sort of personality cosmetic. Uh, people have done this. This was a, all the rage in the 1990s, the idea of, well, I've got an important meeting. I better get up for it. I'll take a Prozac. That's fine. Uh, it's probably not going to hurt you. But if you're not depressed, it's going to be in you for a long time. I also wonder if when people take that, that it's not just uh, a placebo effect. And we'll get to that in a, in a sec, because the um, antidepressant effects take some time. All right. Neurophysiology, how do these things work? Well, the name of monoamine oxidase inhibitors should tell you how they work. However, I will explain. Okay, monoamines, right? So we're talking dopamine, we're talking... Uh, norepinephrine, we're talking serotonin, among others. There is an enzyme called monoamine oxidase that breaks them down. Right? Because anything that is an enzyme ends in A's. Right? And it breaks down monoamines. 
And it's actually monoamine oxidase is important in digestion. We ingest monoamines all the time when we eat food, right? So we have to break those down somehow, and monoamine oxidase is, is, is an enzyme that breaks it down. Now, the notion is that people with, anti, with, with depression don't have enough monoamines in their system. We can either give them monoamines, but typically, actually, neurotransmitters don't cross the blood-brain barrier. What we want to do is make mono, more monoamines available. So what we do is we take monoamine oxidase and shut it down. We inhibit it. So that's how monoamine oxidase inhibitor works, is the monoamine oxidase is inhibited. So now it doesn't work so well, so now there's more monoamines. Okay? So the name should tell you how it works. Does that make sense to everybody? Right. So instead of giving you a precursor, for example, to serotonin, we're just saying that instead of breaking down serotonin, we're going to not break it down. We're going to stop it from being broken down by killing the thing right, that breaks it down, the enzyme that breaks it down. Okay. Tricyclic antidepressants, they stop the reuptake of monoamines. All of them. Of monoamines? No, uh, I Offhand, I couldn't tell you. I could tell you if, you if you named one. So if you start naming antidepressants, I could tell you. But um, no, I can't think of one offhand. They're often used as well as sleeping pills. So we stop the reuptake of monoamine. And serotonin does the same thing, except it just stops the reuptake. Uh, sorry, SSRIs do the same thing, so it just stops the reuptake of serotonin. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Selective, only serotonin. So selective, only one neurotransmitter, serotonin. Reuptake inhibitor inhibits the reuptake of serotonin. So now you have more serotonin around. Note the one thing these all do is they all make more serotonin available in the system. This is the commonality. So this is why the notion is that it's a serotonin issue. There also are uh, selective dopamine reuptake inhibitors that are sometimes given uh, for, for uh, depression, but they aren't typically considered antidepressants. Oh, what's the one you always see the ad for on TV? I can only... I can't remember. I can't remember which one it is. But it's it's an ad, and they say, you know, if you're taking, if you're depressed, you're under, if you're been diagnosed with depression, and you're already taking medication, but it doesn't seem to work well enough. You might need this as well. So, and it's a it's a selective dopamine reuptake inhibitor. And then you hear at the end the guy speaking really quickly. Do not take if you're taking monoamine inhibitors. The best one I ever heard, best when they read those side effects, is oily discharge from the anus. That was the best one. Was like, Jesus, I'd rather be depressed. I don't want oily. Di that would depress me even more. That's that cure is worse than the uh, disease, eh? <laughs> See, I, there's also things I edit out that I don't say, and I just laugh to myself. So, and I know it's hard to believe that there actually is a little guy in my head that edits some of this stuff out, but there is. He's been on strike for years, though, my little man. George Costanza. My little man is dead. What does he say? It's, he's off for stress leave. I think that's what George said. The effects, by the way, on monoamine oxidase, on blocking reuptake of monoamines, or just blocking the reuptake of serotonin, those effects happen immediately. It's drugs. You take them, they work. The antidepressant effect is not. This can take days or weeks. The antidepressant effect. It's just one of those things that makes me go, hmm. And it's referencing Arsenio Hall from 1990. 
Some of these are just for me. For me, my friend Mike. I send him links, basically. Hey, look what I just said. I just said that. It's fun. We're going to write a book together. We're threatening to write a book together. An intro psych book. Like, and it's going to be on the Apple uh, the I books. And it'll have parts of my lectures in it and stuff. And also, it'll have many, many Seinfeld references. And we'll also just go off on it. Basically, like, Mike's just like me, except he's not as el- uh, doesn't have as much albinism. So, like, none. He's got, he's got normalism. He's got, he's got the same uh, sense of humor. It'll be, uh, it'll either be a complete flop or a bestseller. But it'll be fun as hell to write. That's the important thing. So, and here's a question. How the hell does lithium work? These all, uh, look, if it's something to do with serotonin, I can see why these work. However, it clearly isn't quite that simple. So how the hell does lithium work? So here's some ideas about lithium. Like I said, I, I know this, unless you downloaded this, epi- this, this episode. Because yeah. I got it, it's really a show. Unless you downloaded the slides this morning past about 7.15. Because I've been reading about this for a while now because it just it pisses me off because I never do. Because nobody knew. So uh, I've done some reading and try to figure out some ideas. So here's some of the ideas about how lithium might work. Well, the first one clearly is magic. Um, but past that, it may be altering GABA. These are all just hypotheses. No one knows if they're true, okay? None of, uh, usually you want to look and say, okay, not just single articles that have a finding, but a, a review article puts this all together, and here's the current state of literature. And they, none of them agree. Okay, so these are basically from primary sources. So um, it might alter GABA. Um, well, if you have a little more GABA, maybe it slows you down so. Right? Because GABA is the universally inhibitory neurotransmitter. So a little bit more GABA stops you from being having the manic phase. Okay. I like that. That's a good guess. It may attenuate glutamate. In other words, it may be these are both neuromodulatory effects, by the way. So it attenuates glutamate, so it makes glutamate not work as well. Uh, valproate or valproic acid does the same thing and it's often this is one of the things that's given again in small doses to pregnant women that have bipolar rather than lithium um, and that's how it works this is how this is how weak these connections are well that's how that works and this does the same thing I bet this works that way so that's another guess um, there's a nitrous, sorry, nit- that's nitric oxide, a nitric oxide signaling pathway in the nervous system. And what this is signaling pathway is responsible for is neuroplasticity. Uh, plasticity is just, you know, growth, change. Okay? Lithium alters this. So what's the thinking? We know it does, by the way. That, that's true, but is that why the antidepressant, sorry, the mood stabilizing effects happen. I don't know. I can make you up a story. Manic people have too much, too many synapses all firing at once and too much plasticity. That sounds like a story because I just literally made that up. So, it doesn't do that? Yes. Is that what's causing the mood stabilizing effects? I prefer magic, actually, is the explanation. Seriously, I mean, it's almost, it's almost got as much backing as any of these others. And like I noted, it is dangerous. Uh, typically, the concentration you want in the blood is 0.4 millimoles per liter. Okay? And about 1.2 millimoles per liter can kill you. Now, this is interesting because... <laughs> You might need about 1.2 millimoles for the mood stabilizing effect. So this depends on your age. Um, younger kids, it used to be that lithium was never given to children. It is now in very small concentrations, uh, 0.4 or less millimoles per liter. So that's, that's really a very small amount if you just sort of do the math on that. That's not a whole lot. 
when you get up to be an adult, you might need about 1.2. But remember, if 0.4 is enough, and times 3, 1.2 is 0.4 times 3, actually. Uh, so it's, it's, you're getting close to the line when you get to a, a, an effective dose here. So this is why one of the, this is one of the cases that, one of the reasons, rather, or the reason, that when people are put on lithium chloride, they're given very small doses to begin with. Their mood is monitored. And by the way, the effects, the mood stabilizing effects, do take some time. Uh, so you have to give them the, the, the lithium chloride, and it's very, uh, you're monitored every day. Serum levels of, 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 of uh, lithium are, are taken every day, every couple of days. And this, unlike a lot of drugs, this is one of the ones where you don't take two when you've missed a dose. In fact, that usually is only true with like antibiotics. I didn't drink today. I guess I'll have twice as much tomorrow. So lithium is fascinating. Um, I'd love someone to really figure this out. I'd love someone to figure this out. It does work. And the beauty of lithium is it's dead cheap, eh? Like, it's really, really cheap. It's lithium chloride. You can, it's just a salt. Right? So it's very, very cheap. The, unlike, you know, a lot of antidepressants are quite expensive. So lithium chloride's very cheap. That's its upside, and it does seem to work. Oh, excuse me. That's going to be an A, not MZOI. Monozamine oxidized and um, Now, it does, because these also affect acetylcholine, monoamine oxidase inverse and tricyclic antidepressants, there are effects on uh, your mouth ends up dry, you get constipated, um, you can get dizzy, you can have an irregular heartbeat. Remember, acetylcholine is vagus stuff, right? The thing that controls. One of the, one of the no, controls your heartbeat. Uh, blurred vision and ringing in your ears. These are all acetylcholine effects. Uh, by the way, the, not all these side effects always show up in every one, but they will show up pretty commonly. So these are rather unpleasant side effects, right? Now, Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. By the way, everything else has these. The other two, because they also make serotonin more likely. Um, but SSRIs only have nausea, uh, general nervousness. So like anxiety? Yeah. Sort of free-floating anxiety. Uh, headaches, insomnia, and there's an idea of something called serotonin syndrome, which is sort of like. Wait, put this. Sort of minor psychotic episodes. Now, again, this isn't something that happens to everyone. You have to keep that in mind, okay? It's not like everyone that takes, say, Prozac is crazy, goes and coughs. That's crazy stuff. But it's real. Yes? Is there a chance that some of these antidepressants like that could affect um, somebody who has bipolar by possibly bringing on a manic episode? I've heard that. I don't, I've never read anything about that. I've heard people say that. It sounds sensible in a way. Um, but this is why you want to get the right dose. This is the case when you get anything clinical, right? You, know, you, you want to get just enough to they're not depressed. Because you've got to realize, by the way, it's not just giving... Therapy for depression isn't typically just the drugs. It's the drugs and a talking therapy, usually yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically teaching people how normal people think yeah. and behave, right? Retraining your brain. Exactly. So, I mean, when, you're, when you, you've been thinking for perhaps years that everything you do is horrible and nothing you do works, right? And everything's your fault. The bad stuff. Not the good stuff. Good stuff is just dumb one. Um, and you actually believe this. I mean, depressed people are fascinating in some respects, just clinically, because they, most of us, if I gave you a list of words, and the words were 
happy and joy and excitement and surprise, you're much more likely to remember those words than you are to remember death, destruction, and genocide. Unless you're depressed. It's a thing in memory called the Pollyanna effect. We like to remember happy words um, over neutral words and sad words. Depressed people actually remember sad words over neutral words and happy words. Right? So their thinking is distorted. So not only are you giving them the drugs, you're also doing cognitive behavioral therapy, which is literally training people how normal people think. Right? And it, it often involves things like just explaining things like, you know, the, how can that have been your fault? What do you mean? How, how, how could it have been the... There's no way that you caused X, Y, or Z or had anything even to do with it. Right? And the behavioral part literally oftentimes is tre- teaching people to act happy, to pretend. Because as, as backwards as it seems, emotions follow behavior. Behavior doesn't follow emotions completely. So you literally teach people, smile, even though your heart breaks in two. It's a quote from a song. The B side of uh, New Year's Day. Just the uh, Irish single. Anyway, if you took it. But, so the thing is, you got that going on plus the drugs. But the antidepressant effect of the drugs takes weeks. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've always heard this and I've heard anecdotes like that. I have friends who have bipolar and they say when they take too much Prozac, they're more likely to go the other way. Uh, but I've not read anything that says that's true. But it wouldn't be surprising at all. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, I keep misspelling things. MAOI blocks MAO, not MOA. Monoamine accidase? It's a new one. You need that to digest food. So this has, um, it messes up digestive, co- digestive coordination. In other words, you'll have stomach cramps. And like, really bad gas and diarrhea and then constipation and like, it just messes everything up. So one of the reasons that people don't like taking monoamine oxidase inhibitors is well they work as antidepressants, they also have some unpleasant side effects. Generally these things all have sleep effects. Uh, it's interesting that tricyclics actually can be used as sleeping pills. So I wouldn't overdo the tricyclics. This is one of the reasons that tricyclics aren't really given so much anymore. They are sometimes to people in very small pills. So it helps you sleep a little bit, and it has a little bit of an antidepressant effect. I know, for example, that uh, when, when, when my dad was, was dying of brain cancer, my mom's doctor said, take these. They were, these were such small pills, like five milligram pills. And she said, what are? I said, no, I think I know what that is. I said, how big are they? She said, it says five milligrams. I said, oh, okay. And she said, take one now and then before bed. I said, oh, okay. I said, yeah. So it's basically to control her mood a little bit and to help her sleep. Now, the problem is when you give someone who's depressed an antidepressant, it makes them more likely to what? Makes them more likely to kill themselves, right? And now you give them a bottle of kill yourself. So these things aren't given typically to people that are really severe. They're given to people as, uh, like I said, the mom in that case, uh, other people in those kind of situations, uh, usually when the depression is under control. Okay? Some SSRIs seem to affect REM and some don't. Um, And it seems kind of haphazard. Some make less REM and some make uh, no change at all. Um, the thing is, the amount of REM may actually be an antidepressant effect. It may not be a direct effect of being more serotonin available. It may be that people are getting better sleep because they're not depressed anymore. One of the, it's interesting that one of the things that happens with depressed people, depression is a weird disorder because the feelings are the same, but some of the behaviors are different. So some people will sleep all day. Other people won't sleep at all. They get horrible insomnia. Some people will never get out of bed or or do anything, so won't do a damn thing, and that's the majority. Some people actually kind of act out a little bit. 
right? Because anything I do, it doesn't matter because I'll screw it up anyway, so I'll just do something stupid. That's the kind of thinking. That's a, that's a much smaller. But, but with, with the sleeping, some people don't sleep hardly at all, and some people sleep all the time. So in fact, an increase in REM, right, may actually be an antidepressant effect, not a direct effect of the uh, increased serotonin. Uh, follow that make sense? Right. Uh, many of them, fluoxetine is one of them, many of these antidepressants, uh, SSRIs, seem to make dreams more vivid. Uh, there's no euphoria with these drugs. Uh, there's no real liking. Uh, people that do take uh, SSRIs, I wouldn't call it recreationally, but like I said, as a personality cosmetic, which you hear of sometimes, um, they say that they're more focused. They say they do better in social situations. And I don't know that that's really even true. My, my feeling has always been that these things came out as an antidepressant in the, in the mid, early to mid-90s. People got very excited about them. Some people started taking them. Hell, on the cover of Time, there was a thing about, was, Time Magazine had Prozac as a cover story once. And in fact, it was almost apparently the man of the year, like the person of the year was Prozac in like 1986. It wasn't. But it was on the list, the short list. So, people heard about this. I know, and I think maybe this might be a bit of a, person, a, bit of a, a placebo effect. But there's no real drug liking. It's not like, oh, I really could use a drink. Right? Oh, I want to smoke. It's not, oh, could I ever use a Prozac? It's not like people like taking it. Uh, the, there may be some cognitive effects here, sort of cognitive uh, focusing, uh, especially tricyclics, apparently. People using it as a personality cosmetic, as I mentioned, um, What do people think of that? Do you care if people do that? Because the idea is it makes you better in social situations. makes you a little sharper. Some people are really vehemently opposed to this whole notion. I don't know. know. Do whatever the hell you want. It doesn't bother me. Some people have some sort of really visceral reaction to this. Yeah. Oh. Wouldn't it just really not be you in that case because you're taking a drug or making yourself in social situations? So you're kind of faking your personality. Yeah, but isn't it not really you if you put the odor on? At least all that. Or, 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 you know, people um, depending on the clothes you wear. I mean, I, I sort of see both sides of it. I see both sides of it. I, I see what you're saying, and, and there is a part of me that's kind of like it's a little creepy. Also, well, well, people look at it, you know when you're drunk. Yeah, and it's interesting that way. I mean, I, I wonder, like I said, I'm of two minds about it. Part of me just doesn't care. It's like, yeah, fine. We also, uh, it's not natural that I have all these things hanging in my ears either, you know. Um, I don't know what it says about me. Probably that I'm an idiot. Well, that's not something that changes with the pill, though. You have earrings. That's fine. Like it's, just, it's a social image. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that is just, I mean, this is, if you want to call it sort of the, my image or whatever, my image is I'm a guy that has earrings. You know, but it's a smaller thing than say, I become more outgoing or some such thing. Yeah. But I mean, I see both ends of it. I, I just, I think if people want to do stuff, go ahead. Because there's a difference between that or having a couple of drinks or a couple of cups of coffee before you go into a social gathering or yeah, a joint. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people do this. They, um, like, like, like Jill says, you, Julie says, you a couple drinks, a couple cups of coffee. Uh, <laughs> I know a person who uh, takes a hit off a one-hitter before he gives a talk. Um, he's famous, by the way, too, so I'm not going to use his name. He's a well-known scientist. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and it's not me, because I'm not well-known, but I am a little high. Um, <laughs> just a little, just a little touch. But, yeah, I wonder. I mean, I don't know how different it is than that. Then again, we tend to think of, it's funny, alcohol, we would think that that was a little bit like, if you, if you said, I get to have three shots of vodka before I give my thesis talk. I've heard students, honors thesis students say that. And they always say, yeah, don't. Okay. 
we did have the one incident like five, four or five years ago where the, the guy got really drunk before his thesis. It didn't turn out so well. It didn't turn out well at all. I've never given anybody three out of ten in their honors thesis talk. And that was being generous. Just random slides. Like, they just had pictures of things, and he just was all hammered up. Wasn't good. Was not a good talk. Didn't go well. Or would you say someone that's stoned all the time is the evil person, someone's using it as a personality plus Pardon me? Someone could be high all the time just using it as a personality plus Yeah, and people do. I mean, there are people that, that do that, right? Uh, on the other hand, with coffee, for example, we don't tend to think of it as a problem. Right? And the weird thing is that sort of antidepressants are somewhere in the middle between like getting high or drinking alcohol and drinking coffee. I think most people sort of put them somewhere in the middle there where it's like, well, it's medicine, but everything else is too. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not really, I don't care a lot, but then again, I see the other side of it where if uh, somebody's having a job interview and I hire them and they, they did well because they were on an antidepressant, and they're depressed. I don't care if you're depressed, you take it, they control it, that's great. And then the next day you come in and you're not the same person. I don't know. It's kind of weird. So I don't know. Making a job interview, right? Yeah. So I don't know. So I, it's an interesting point. I don't think very many people do this so much anymore. <clears throat> it was a big thing a few years ago. Uh, tolerance and withdrawal. Um, both the side effects and the main effects show tolerance. That shouldn't surprise you. These directly affect uh, neurotransmitters. A withdrawal, of course, can happen. Uh, people get uh, agitated, nervous. They get the chills. Uh, muscle aches are pretty common here. Again, we got things, a lot of these, this depends on the drug, but like, think about something like uh, the TCAs, the MAOIs. They're playing with acetylcholine. Acetylcholine is what makes your muscles contract. Your muscles are going to get sore if you don't have that. I mean, it's the opposite effect, right? Uh, the agitation, the nervousness, etc. It's easier to keep people on SSRIs than the other two kinds of drugs because they only have serotonin side effects. They don't have the other side effects, the acetylcholine side effects, for example, which are probably the most unpleasant ones. Not to mention um, your stomach cramps and stuff from monoamine oxidase, not having enough of it. Right? So tricyclics aren't really chosen that off, as often. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors are the most commonly chosen of the sort of first-generation ones, but the downside of is they, they make you, you get stomach cramps and things like that. So it's typically easier to keep people on SSRIs. Um, make it hard for you to get an erection. Funny I use the word hard there. <laughs> See what I did? I put the two together and did a little comedy. as we know, you can totally control that now with a different pill, so who cares? <laughs> right? It's kind of like a weird version of a speedball. Prozac and Viagra. <laughs> I take Cialis and Prozac. I'm happy, and I have an erection all the time. That's the new app. It's just, I wasn't helping myself for Christmas. ads, I don't know, man. First of all, the one with the Viagra and all those people running around singing, dancing around, I don't know. I'm just going to say one thing. How are those guys dancing? <laughs> you know, if they've got one of those four-hour erections. <clears throat> and I'm not calling my doctor when that happens. <clears throat> I'll make a call, all right. <laughs> Thank you. Uncomfortable with me making the Viagra jokes? No, it's not good. You don't like it? Okay. It doesn't seem there are effects on fetuses. Not, uh, not including lithium. Not including lithium. Uh, it doesn't seem there are effects on, on fetuses, but there are nasty side effects in lab animals. Um, so typically what happens with pregnant women that are on antidepressants of some sort is they are asked... Do you think you could go off these for nine months? And depending, and you know, with the therapy continuing, etc., the talking therapy. Now, depending on the woman, they may take them off completely. Now, then you've got to think, well, why would you want to take them? Well, if you take them at a lower level, 
There's less chance of there being any downside. And frankly, if you are so depressed, think about this, I'm not trying to be callous. If you're so depressed that you always have to be on the pills, some people would like that, you probably aren't going to eat properly, which is bad for the baby inside you. You're probably not going to take care of yourself, which is bad for the baby inside you. So the, be- the lower risk is taking the drugs rather than not taking them, even though that could have a harmful side effect. But like I said, most of this is sort of secondary stuff from animal data. Uh, overdoses, uh, typically that's with um, that's, that's good. You can kill yourself with those. You can kill yourself with all the other ones too. It's just a lot harder. Tricyclics, you can uh, go to sleep and not wake up. Um, people have talked about violence and serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors. In fact, there would be court cases where people have pled uh, not guilty by reason of insanity because they were taking broad present. Does it cause an increase in... Does, do people get kind of a little nervous? Yeah. Does some people get... A little more prone to violence. Yeah, looks like it. Uh, that data was, by the way, wasn't out for a long time, and it looks like it's a rare side effect that does happen. Do people go on murderous fog, like rampages in a serotonin-induced fog? No, only on Oprah. No, that doesn't seem to be true. Uh, can people have that serotonin syndrome? Um, that does happen. But again, do people go on murderous rampages where they kill, kill, kill? Doesn't seem to be the case. Okay, so the idea that it's some sort of I don't know. I thought I had a metaphor there. The idea that it does that is not true. <laughs> I really thought I had I was searching for metaphors. And I got nothing. I got nothing. So I mean, these things actually do help a lot of people. Um the thing is, unlike, see, when we figured out with, with uh, antipsychotic drug how they worked and how it was dopamine, and now we know that it's a dopamine problem, it's great, right? You can get rid of the voices in, in, in 25 minutes. Take the drug, fast acting, voices go away. Paranoia goes away. Wonderful. On the other hand, when Prozac first came out, when the, when the SSRIs first came out, people said, oh, well, well, it's the same thing here. It is serotonin. It's a lack of serotonin. And in fact, it turns out that it's not really just a lack of serotonin. And we know that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is that, and the key one, is that it's not just the case that uh, these drugs work instantly. They take a long time to start working properly. Between you know two and six weeks sometimes. Is serotonin involved in depression, in mood? Yeah. Uh, is it simply a serotonin problem like schizophrenia is a dopamine problem? No. It's way more complicated. Questions? Comments? Criticisms? Kudos? Any sounds at all? Nothing? All right, guys. I will see you next time. We will talk about marijuana and acid.
This podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.